Welcome to the Tortoiseus Podcast. I am your host, Mark Morell, and joining me shortly will be my partner, Shane Wells, and may or may not be joining us as a guest. We don't know yet. And without further ado, your opening. Hello and welcome to episode 13 of the Tortoises Podcast. I am Parker Perel. I'm Shane Wells. And may I say, Shane, do we have an episode in store for them? We do, we do, we do. It's about, uh, once again, the Mexican Revolution. But, but Shane, what are we talking about in the Mexican Revolution? <laughs> Copyright. Copyright. No, but Shane, yeah, what are we talking about when it comes to the Mexican Revolution? The entirety yes. of the Mexican Revolution. I hope you're ready for our longest episode. Probably, yes. Ever. Ever. So I don't think, I think we should uh, skip the foreplay, as Mr. <laughs> Mr. Reardon says, and get straight into the action. So, so yeah, let's start... 1839, shall we? Not the necessarily start of the Mexican Revolution. All you need to know, and before we jump into this, we have a test coming up in the Mexican Revolution. Just calm down, Sean. Okay, I'm sorry. (laughs) We have a test coming up, so it's probably, this helps us as much as it Quite a lot. Yeah, going through it. And we're giving our thoughts and opinions. Did, did you want this one, or is that one of your uh, No, I was just saying that it's a time before that one, but that's okay. No, it is. The 1839. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I don't know what I was So, 1839 was the end of the first Franco-Mexican War. You don't really need to know that much, except it's just European powers continuing to influence the Mexican Empire, because it wasn't the Mexican Republic at that point. Shane, what happened in 1857? So jumping quite a lot to 1857, you got the new constitution, and uh, right here it says, cause conservatives to resent liberal reform and return to a Mexican empire. So, yeah, uh, the new constitution, it was very revolutionary for the time, and... It was super duper pooper revolutionary, but it caused a lot of conservatives because the 1857 Constitution kind of shifted it from being a Mexican empire to the Mexican Republic. And at this point, that wasn't, republics weren't that common. So it caused a lot of conservatives to be like, we want to go back to the days of the empire. And that led to, in 1862, France invades and placed Maximilian I as king of Mexico. And this Maximilian I is an Austrian king. This is all. This is all the background. So the U.S. was busy with the Civil War. France invades Mexico, led by Napoleon III, and they start totally wrecking the crap out of Mexico. And he had support from Austria, Britain, France, and Prussia. He had like volunteer Everybody, troops. Yeah. yeah. So it was just like Mexico was kind of screwed. <laughs> and then for for like four or five years, this was a uh, uh, yeah. For four years, they just totally start wrecking Mexico, and it looks like, you know, they're going to win the war. And then the U.S. wins the Civil War. What a plot twist. And then the tide starts turning in the war. So European support withdraws as U.S. starts, you know, totally. uh, They don't necessarily enter the war, but they do send 3,000 U.S. troops, like as expeditionary troops, which was very common at the time. 
And seeing as they are, like, battle-hardened after the Civil War, they totally, like, kiss the prissy pants off the French. Mm. And also, the the U.S. sent more troops to deal with Confederate exiles as Confederates started, like, crossing the border into Mexico. And so, like, they just totally... The U.S. sent troops. And the U.S. also sent $18 million in 1860... Uh, uh, in 1863 dollars. So imagine how much money yeah, that is a lot. to the Mexican Republic. So the U.S. put a lot of, you know, emphasis in the Mexican, uh, Mexican economy. And then, Shane, what happened after that in 1867? 1867. So the war with France ends. And um, you had generals uh, Porfirio Diaz, who will be much, much, much important yeah, a, a little, little bit later. A little foreshadowing. And Benito Juarez are considered heroes of the war with France. And after the war, uh, Juarez is elected president in 1867. And... Um, uh, they remain on, you know, good terms with the U.S. Yep. from all that money, money, money. And also you have to think about how this influences them as the president because they were just in a war for, like, their nation's life and they get all this money and support from the U.S. So you have to, like, think that they're pretty pro-U.S. at this point, you know? Yeah, okay, that's important. Yeah, yeah that's pro- important. Being pro-U.S. is uh, quite important for the Mexican Revolution. Foreign involvement, I guess? Yeah, foreign entanglement. Yeah, okay, so that will be important, okay? Mm-hmm. U.S. is funneling money into Mexico, and that's why, mm-hmm. you know, the presidents are very happy with all the money that they're getting from mm-hmm. Mexico. That's Cause, cause at this point, we are their homies. But you had um, Ley Flores under... Benito Juarez. Uh, can you give me some more about Le Juarez? You know more about that than I do. I don't remember too much from 1860. So yeah, Le Juarez was super duper interesting um, because it did something. Mm. Yeah, La Reforma. <laughs> La Reforma. It was a part of La Reforma. Catholic Church stuff. It did um, a lot with church and state. It was very like revolutionary. Ooh, I guess for the time. Say- because the Catholic Church became a huge part of Mexico, and Lelardo that forced the uh, that forced the, uh, the church to sell their property for a profit and was given to the government. So yeah, Le Juarez was uh, didn't give the church any special exemptions, and that was like very scandalous for the time, especially for Catholics, yeah. because they're like, oh, we gotta uh, we get our special exemptions, but they were like, mm mm. No, no, no. And so it was just very not common for the time, especially in a Catholic country like Mexico. So you see a rise in liberalism in the country. But then in 1876, Perforio Diaz was elected, and this begins, kind of officially begins the Mexican Revolution. The Porfiriato. The Porfiriato. And what's important to... And all these years in the... Porfiriato kind of become a blur, so I'm just going to go over key events that happen. So, Porfirio Diaz installs the Terrenos Baldios, which <sighs> takes 50 million hectares of land and gives it to foreigners, companies, and foreign, rich yes, haciendas. For that. So, oil, oil, oil. Yes, oil, and what, oil, you have to, what you have to remember is three U.S. companies reached 13 million hectares. And, like, they only had... uh, They had 50 million hectares to give. And those hectares were technically stolen land, which they stole from, you know, native peoples that were living there at the time, you know? Is it pronounced hectares or hectares? I don't know. Okay. Hectares. Okay, hectares. Okay. It's like a square hectare. Hectares sounds right, though, because it's like a Mexican... Mexican? 
but yeah, so there was a lot of expansion. I speak Mexican. I, sp- I speak the Mexican. <laughs> Dude, in Spanish class, I said, like, I don't even remember what I said. You said something about speaking Mexican. Well, well, it, well I said speaking Mexican, but, like, I... I realized that, like, that could be... Because we're talking about accents, you know? <laughs> and yeah. so, because, like, that... I think Senora was like, she's speaking Costa Rican Spanish. And I said something like, oh, I speak Russian Mexican. <laughs> and, like, it was stupid. And then I realized that I was like, oh. <laughs> Mexican. But I didn't mean it like that, but, you know, it came out like Racist. Right. Cancel. Can't, yeah, cancel me for that. I flip and dare you. I flip and dare you if that's going to be my downfall. Um, so, also during this time, there was expansion and industrialization, and there was a rising amount of U.S. workers entering Mexico to work in the factories. And what we saw was a rift between U.S. workers and Mexican workers. Shane, what happens after that? So, it's kind of to add on to Parker a little bit. Uh, what year? We'll get into 1905 in a little bit, but... Um, just during the Porfiriato, when Porfirio was uh, in reign in control, president, um, something you have to realize is that kind of began like a um, industrialization of Mexico. Oh yeah, yeah, big time, big time, because Mexico like greatly evolved under Porfirio Diaz. May it wasn't really the right way because he stole a bunch of land with Torrenos Baldios from mm-hmm. like um, the residents of Mexico. And gave them to foreigners, but it did, like, boost the economy incredibly. And it just, like, the infrastructure of Mexico just, like, boomed. Because you had the, all of this oil import and, mm. or export. And um, just it, the economy was booming under Porfirio. Just it came at the cost of, you know, the lives of everyone in Mexico. But moving to 1905... <laughs> everyone. Yeah. <laughs> but, but what you gotta what you gotta realize is what a curious case Porfirio, Porfirio Diaz is, you know? Yeah. Because is, he cared but... a lot for Mexico, you know? Yeah. He did care a lot, and he boosted their economy. But still, he had labor camps. He had secret police. Yeah, I think he was trying to do the right thing, but, like, in a weird, like, mm-hmm. capitalist, like, extreme capitalist, like, perspective, almost. Like, yeah. money, money, money. So, he thought money was the only way, I think, is yeah. what I think is what it was. He clearly didn't listen to that song. It's not all about the money. Yes, money, yeah. Money. It's, not, it's not all about the money, money, money. Yeah. But, yeah. um, I think you could say maybe he, he kind of started this whole revolution thing. Because this brought in foreign investment. Um, just a bunch of industrialization led to a bunch of jobs, just like different forms of labor and things like that. But uh, moving on to 1905, uh, Mexico actually had a whole um, a whole lot of silver mines. They had a whole lot of mines, um, silver, copper. Yeah, silver was like, a huge part of their economy. Silver was a huge part of their economy, but in 1905, silver dropped in price by 50%, which is a huge, huge amount. Like, nothing what has ever dropped in that value. What happened if your stocks? Drop 50%. If my AMC stocks, I have only like $40 in AMC, but dang, bro, I would lose 20 bucks. That sucks. <laughs> so imagine somebody having like... that. Uh, my, that's half. That's half. 50% of its value. Bro, that but is... But uh, a lot of these mines and stuff, silver mines especially, just had a lot of like influence in Mexico. So that was really... Dra- uh, and you have to wonder about foreign involvement because you have foreign investment in that. You have foreign yes. workers working there. And when the silver price goes down, 
There's not as much involvement. In there's this a lot stuff. to look into with just the foreign involvement, yeah. really, through there's all a, of this. There's a lot of ways to analyze this revolution politically, socially, and economically. And this is a huge thing in the back of their mind because throughout the revolution, the silver price never fully heals until, I would say, the 1940s. So that's yeah. like throughout this revolution process. So there's a huge tank to the economy the entire time this is going on, you know? Mm-hmm. So, moving on to 1906, very important year, Chihuahua workers walked out and began striking, and Perforio Diaz sent rurales, which is a rural police, to deal with them. And were just like, hey, get back to work. And then Chihuahua workers were like, nah, because they, they were tired of getting paid in script, uh, which wasn't real cash. It was just like the company's form of cash. You can only buy stuff at the company store. Like that famous song by, um, uh, crap. I don't What's know. What's his it. name? You yeah. Load 15. Yeah. Crap. 15. Done. What do you get? <laughs> I love that song. Yeah. Uh, but either way, 16 tons, not 15 tons. What did I say? 15. Oh, I said 16. Oh, well, I said 15. Well, 16 tons. Yeah. Uh, but whatever. He sent the Rurales uh, because they were tired of getting paid in script, not being paid as much as the U.S. workers, and they weren't allowed to unionize. However, with uh, however they hoped striking would change that, but the Rurales didn't really do anything. They were just... Rurales were just like a lesser form of police because... You have to understand, Perforio Diaz's, like, system, it was centralized, but it also wasn't. It relied heavily on um, the far stretches of the government doing their thing and paying loyalty to Perforio Diaz. So the Rurales weren't really that effective. And so the U.S. sent Arizona Rangers, because the Chihuahua uh, factory that they were working at was, like... had a lot of resources that the U.S. depended on. So Arizona Rangers came down and 23 Mexicans died. And this interfered heavily with Mexican sovereignty and, like, their own uh, their sovereignty. And so it was an insult to the nation. So there's no wonder that this happened. Also, during 1906, we saw railroads growing, foreign involvement, and the oil industry expanded. Uh, it expanded with Edward Doheny, a U.S. investor, but... A lot of important things happened during this time. So, during 1906, Arizona Rangers came into town, mm. and that offended Mexicans, so there's a lot of anti-U.S. sentiment. But Born then also during this time, there was a rise in lynchings in Texas of Mexican people. And so, there was also newspaper stories about that. And so, there was a lo- huge rise in anti-American sentiment for good reason, because of the... Social strife going on. Yes, the this unrest. Will, this will also the relationship with the U.S. is very, very, very strange and is always constantly changing in Mexico because you'll see U.S. support the government and then you'll see them support revolutionaries like Pancho Villa and mm-hmm. then it jumps around where Pancho Villa, you know, is all with the, up in the U.S. and he pleases the U.S. to get. You know materials, and then the U.S. switches sides, and then Pancho Villa goes. Well, that'll be later. Yeah, but it's just it's constantly changing this relationship with the U.S. But uh, are you are you perhaps teasing it a little? bit? I am teasing. I am a little bit teased. Teasing a little bit. But anyways, another important thing that happened in 1906, uh, 1906, was uh, Wheatman Pearson. He's he's a British investor. Struck a deal with Mexico and. 
the U.S. like as a whole was kind of insulted because we're like, hey, we're old chums, but you're, you're striking a deal with the British. And it was a pretty lucrative deal that, that America was working on for a while. And so the U.S. was pretty PO'd, and this led to 1908, one of the most important years in the Mexican Revolution, because this is when the Creelman interview happened. <gasps> so at this point, you have to realize that uh, Porfirio Diaz was 78, 76, so he's getting up there. He's and, old. And he's had to deal with political, uh, anti-U.S. political demonstrations all across the state of Mexico, uh, their companies and their government striking deals with uh, the British and other companies, uh, other European companies, without consulting the U.S. So the U.S. feels insulted. So how does he, like, try to appease the Americans? So in the Creelman interview, um, he says he's going to step down. And this is a theory, uh, but I believe that he says he's going to step down for democracy and... He's going to step down in 1910. He's not going to run, and somebody else is going to become president to let democracy run his course. He says the Mexican people are ready. But I believe he did this. This leads to a lot of questions because he did this to kind of repair the relationship with the U.S. Because the U.S. is like, ah, democracy, ah, people, love it, we the people and such. So mm -hmm. I believe he did that to kind of show, like, oh, yeah, I love the democracy and the people, just like you. So can't we all just be friends? You know, you get what I'm saying, Shane? I get what you're saying. So it's kind of like a facade. And this, the Creelman interview, he didn't expect it to come back to Mexico, I can only assume. But it caught on like wildfire. And soon Ricardo and Flores Magone, the Magone brothers, formed the Mexican Liberal Party. Mm. And they called for revolution. And Ricardo and Flores Magone would later become uh, radical socialists. And yeah, it was just... Crazy, but they were heavily influential on the democracy in Mexico. But after the Creelman interview, it opened for political parties to begin demonstrating and forming, which is a huge issue for Porfirio Diaz, as it is as during the Porfiriato, it was a one-party system. It opened a new door. Yes, a very big door. So oh, I have the first. Yeah, uh, you, you take it away, nineteen ten. All right, nineteen ten. I guess you could say it all begins here, right? Yes, one might, one so, might. So, you know, the Krillman interview, Porfirio said, hey, I'm going to step down. Mm -mm. So, Madero, Francisco Madero, who you could say is a revolutionary, part of the Liberal Party, yes, if I'm not mistaken, mm -hmm. um, from the Magon Brothers, um, he decided that he would run for president. Kind of a rich daddy's boy. Richie rich, rich. Rich, rich, rich. And then, so, Madero runs for presidency, but Diaz does not step down. Yeah, he does he not. He doesn't step down. In fact, he actually kind of rigs the election, mm -hmm. so he wins. Mm -hmm. And during that week, uh, Madero gets thrown in jail. Yes, right? he does, yes. There was a week in Mexico during those elections, or I think it was the week before the elections, where... 10,000 people were arrested. Yeah, 10,000. In one 10, week. 10,000? Yeah. yeah. Talk about a dictatorship right there, folks. Yeah. Which we'll look back into. Madero states uh, that that's a, Porfiriato is a dictatorship later, but I'll get yeah. into that in just a second. So, Madero, 
He's he's a little pissed off. Yeah. You know, be I would be. In I, would, I would be. I would be pretty pissed. <laughs> oh jeez. I would be pretty pissed. So he he gets out and he escapes all the way to San Antonio, Texas. Uh, the, Something you need to know city. about Francisco Madero is yes, he's a revolutionary, but he's not one of the I don't want to say common folk. He's actually the fifth from the fifth richest family in all of Mexico. And he he outwardly states in all of his like uh, I guess you can say pressers, but like in all of his speeches, I am not a revolutionary. He, yeah, a lot yeah. of people consider him the father of the Mexican Revolution, which we get, that can be a whole another episode. That's a, yeah, that can be a whole another episode. But I would he, say he, he is technically. But I would say different. But regardless, he doesn't. He says, I'm not a revolutionary. I don't want anything to do with this whole jazz. I'm just running for the president. But he let the tiger out of the cage. Oh, what's the tiger? Okay. Um, the revolution. So. Um, brilliant elaboration. Shane. Yes, it's a brilliant elaboration. So he runs off to San Antonio, and he writes the Plan de San Luis Potosí. What was the Plan de San Luis Potosí, you might ask? Well. Oh, he has it right here. Yes. So first off, uh, a lot of people misinterpret it as it state uh, like if you Google it right now and you ask what it says, it will tell you it said overthrow Diaz, effective suffrage, and no reelections. That's the platform he's running on. It's important to also point out what uh, the Plan de San Luis Potosi uh, is pointed towards, or who the yeah, who's supposed to be helping, kind of. Yeah, it was. So, if you look at the actual document, translated document, it's just talking about the army and trying to get the army on your side mm. and, like, saying it's going to pay off. It will give you huge stipends. Move them to the revolution, or to Madero's side. Yeah, if you what, stay with the Porfiriato, you'll be punished. And it was a huge diss at Diaz because mm. it was just like, you're a despot, you're an authoritarian, come out here. I will throw rocks at your window. You know. <laughs> you know. Yeah, that's exactly what it's like. It's just like, bro, what are you doing? And so, uh, another important thing that San Luis put to see, it called for a recall, and now it's time to start looking at an important figure. Figure is the uh, Zap- uh, Zapatistas are already rebelling at this point. And the Zapatistas are led by Emiliano Zapata. Now, time for a little backstory. Um, and I meant to do backstories on all of them, but I kind of ran out of time. So I only have the backstory on Emiliano Zapata. So, yeah. Who's one of the most important? Yes. the I would say the I would most important. Revolutionary. So he was born in 1879 in Morelos. At Shin, where was he born again? What city? Anenequilco. Anenequilco, Mexico. And <laughs> Morelos was the newest state in Mexico at the time. Oh. And it was 100 kilometers from Mexico City. So they had a huge impact on the economy because they were very densely populated because they were one of the smallest and newest states. And they exported a whole lot of sugar cane. A whole, very, whole, whole lot. Which was very important in Mexico, but they also had different products like avocados, and, uh, molasses. It's... It's important to not get wrapped up in sugarcane, but it's important to know that sugarcane is their cash crop. And so Zappi, or Zapata, was uh, when he was nine, this is a famous Mexican legend. So some people say it's fake, some people say it's not fake. But when he was nine, he witnessed a hacendado, that's the owner of a hacienda, burn down his dad's orchard. Uh, burn down his dad's orchard. And he saw his dad break down, inconsolable, with tears. 
and that image was burned in his mind. And it said that Zapata took a blood oath to end the Hacienda system at that moment. Whoa. Yeah, really? isn't, I didn't know that. Isn't that like out of a movie? Like yeah, that is Like taking a blood oath to end the Hacienda system? Yeah. Uh, it's all like a movie, folks. Yeah. And that that's the story. Because he's a real rags to riches. But it's important to know that his family, although he was from a very poor village, his family, although they weren't like richy rich like Madero, they were like, they were comfortable. You could say they weren't like gonna go hungry, but they were, they, they were, they were I. Yeah, they I. Because they were moderately rich because they had, uh, their family worked in a very specialized trade. And this is very important for talking about uh, Zapata. He was a horse trainer and one of the best horse trainers in all of Morelos and probably even all of Mexico. Hacendados would ask them, their family, to go train their horses in, uh, in Shiznaz. And he would do it. And so his parents died at age of 17. And in uh, in Nenequilco, Mexico, um, there was a demonstration in 1897 for land reform. And as you can guess, Emiliano Zapata participated in it. Uh, participated in it. And he was arrested and he was put in uh, put in the army. That that's that's another thing that's important to talk about. The Porfiriato, their army was uh, made out up of two thirds convicts. At the time, uh, petty criminals and low level criminals were drafted into the military, so that's a form of punishment. So there wasn't really a sense of loyalty in the army. It was more like this is a punishment. So that led to desertions being very, very common. And so so he was actually gotten out of the army by Hacendados because they just needed his horse training skills super duper duper much. And so back to 1910, so the Zapatistas, they're already rebelling. And Orozco and Villa, they're rebelling in the north. Um, And Zapata's in the south. Madero Madero returns uh, down El Paso and unites with Orozco and Villa. And that leads to the Battle of Ciudad Juarez. And there's a lot of fallout over that battle because, A, it, it, ends, the, um, it ends this quick revolution. But So basically, Orozco and Villa wanted to attack Ciudad Juarez. But Ciudad Juarez is right on the border. It's right on the border between Mexico and the United States. And also, uh, Madero was already in kind of peace talks with uh, General Navarro, that was the Porfiriato general in the city of Ciudad Juarez. And he was like, no, we, do, we don't want, you know, countless bloodshed. We don't want bullets to fly across the border. And v- and so he actually suggested that we retreat and we have another battle at Chihuahua City. But he was hesitant to give the order because imagine this. Imagine you're a soldier, a rebel, fighting for, we'll say, land reform, okay? And... Mm-hmm. You're sweaty, you're covered in cow leather, you're marching across the Sonoran and Chihuahua Desert all the way to Ciudad Juarez, and you're besieging a city, and this could be it. There's thousands of soldiers in there. If you win this battle, that's like half their army gone. And then your general's like, all right, let's go somewhere else before you even fight. You're, 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 you're saddled up there for two weeks trying to get these people to surrender, and then your main general is like, all right, let's leave, without even doing anything. So obviously the army was like really unmotivated to follow Madero. Yeah. And that led to Villa and Orozco just saying, 
screw you, and attacking Ciudad Juarez and <laughs> and winning resoundingly. So, if, I, if I'm not mistaken, you can recap me on this. Didn't Madero not want them to like shoot up the place? Yeah, they they were like, let's be civil about this. You know, let's treat it with. Yes, it's civility. Civility, but, you know. All right. So If I'm walking in the snoring desert, I wouldn't really have that much <laughs> civility in me as well. Yeah, but um, that's that's very important, Parker. Uh, the the kind of battle, the guerrilla, mm-hmm. the guerrilla-ness of the fighting that, we're, that we will begin to see for the revolution is just very incredible. It's just like these guys running around. I mean, you can picture it. It's like it's literally exactly like the movies, which is like, you know, like this is something you can say is like the movies because it really oh, yeah. is. Like these guys running around with sombreros on, with sa- with just, satchels of bullets, just like Three Amigos with yes. Guapo. It's yes, it's like the Three Amigos exactly. But I'm going to jump to 1911. Well, you also... Uh, oh, did I forget something? Uh, well, you didn't forget something. I just wanted to add mm-hmm. that with this guerrilla war in mind, you have to keep in mind that the Porfiriato, and as we'll see later with the federal government, they only control the city centers. Like the the rural yeah. side, that is all revolution. That's all yeah. the rebels. The only time there's really federales is when they're moving from city to city. Mm-hmm. So the rebels are really popular in the countryside, and that's what leads to the guerrilla war. And some yep. of the battles is when the uh, federal government is moving garrisons from city to city. We'll see just unique developments in their battle as well, like train usage and things mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. They start Real. using trains, like invading trains and using them. But um, so after the battle of Ciudad Juarez, Diaz resigns. <gasps> no! Bum, 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 bum. no! So Diaz goes into exile. It says right here into Paris, but then he goes to Spain. Well, right? he, he goes to Spain first, and then he goes to Paris, and then he just like chills in Paris. Yeah, and he just he, he literally just lives out and, his life. And isn't that a little ironic that you know uh, France was the country that invaded Mexico, which, <laughs> yeah, which yeah. gave him his start, and then he dies in Paris. Yep. Who was in Paris? Perforio Diaz. <laughs> <laughs> Diaz is in Paris. Diaz is in Paris. All right. Somebody is laughing their butt off at that joke. Mm -hmm. They're like, oh, my God, Diaz is in Paris. So so there was a treaty of Ciudad Juarez, which paid reparations to foreigners as well. Mm. That was very controversial that the treaty of Ciudad Juarez had to pay foreign governments like the U.S. reparations for a (laughs) a Mexican revolution. But... It was seen as necessary as there was a lot of damage to infrastructure. I forgot to add something on. So just in case if no one understood, like, who knows who Orozco and Villa are, they're revolutionaries up in the north. Yeah. And that's important as well that, that yes, you have this revolution. Everyone wants, you know, Porfirio out of office. They mm-hmm. want someone else. But something you have to realize is that the people up north want something completely different yeah. than the people down south. Oh, completely different. Completely different. And you have to understand also at this point, Villa isn't the influential figure he is, as yeah. we'll see later. He's just, uh, I wouldn't say a no-name, but he's just a colonel, yeah. a cog in the machine. Pasquale Orozco is pretty, pretty influential at this point. He's a well-known yeah, general. Yeah, he's, he's definitely one of the earlier popular generals, but um, his fate will later you know, be brought up. Wish um, <laughs> so, Madero is elected. Yes. And you could say this sparks it all, that change can be done. We can put someone into office yes. that, you know, is not 
we we have control of the revolutionaries have control of who goes into and, office. And this should this should be the end, end of story, everything. Yeah, I know. feel like this kind of like gave the reassurance that like okay, because before people were not thinking like oh these people you know coming to our minds and killing us Mexican workers. Like, they can't really do anything about it because, you know, there's a federal government. But this gave them, like, oh, we can do something about it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But Madero is all hyped up and everything, going into office. Whoop, whoop. But then that all just goes away. No. It all just goes away. This is all in 1911. Um, So, uh, yeah, it starts going away. He keeps these scientificos who, if you don't know, are the people that worked uh, with... um, Porfirio. He keeps them all in office when Esmadero remains in office. He doesn't take any of them out. And he doesn't put any new revolutionaries in there as well. He actually um, appoints Orozco, if I'm not mistaken, right? Well, no, he po- appoints Huerta. That's the thing. He okay, yeah, Huerta he appoints Huerta, the... and then that, that, that comes an issue later. And that's another thing that he does in 1911 is when he de- when, like, say, a scientifico leaves... He doesn't appoint a reformist or a liberal. He re- appoints a conservative, a, a conservative that's really anti-revolutionary. So it's just a continuing of Yeah, life. so it's just like he doesn't do anything. Yeah. He doesn't do anything. He doesn't kick any of these scientificos out, which are rich guys that have all of the control, that were kind of running the whole Porfiriato mm-hmm. before, and then he doesn't kick any of them out. So, P- so these revolutionaries really start to get pissed off because mm-hmm. they, you know, they fought these... You know, battles and everything. Uh, yeah, we have this new person in charge, and he doesn't do anything. Yeah. So, as they get pissed, Orozco, you know, jumps against Madero as well, and it kind of grows this, like, just, like, hatred against yeah, Madero. And we'll see that becomes an issue The vultures later. begin to swarm. Yeah, yeah. Will. I think so. But Parker has a little bit more on 1911. Yes, I have a whole lot more No, on no, I forgot this part. He put no labor and land reforms in either, which is what most... Nearly everyone wanted as well, so nothing was done about that. So, yeah. So, yeah. As for the question, when did the Mexican Revolution begin? This is before I dive into this. There's a there's a little bit of a debate on whether it's 1910 or 1911. Some t- some say 1910 because that's when Madero uh, stood up against Porfirio, uh, Porfirio Diaz, and some say 1911 because that's when the Plan de Ayala was written. So. And that's when Zapata revolts against Madero. And let's get to that. So, conservatives put in cabinet, uh, block reformists, yada, yada, yada. Madero loved to ignore revolutionaries. And he, and this is very untalked about. He called for rebels to disarm themselves. He was like, all right, let's give up your guns. Mm-hmm. And, like, can you imagine going up to, like, somebody like Villa and saying, all right, hand me your revolvers. Let's go yeah. on. Let's... It's hand in your guns, and they were just like, no. Uh, exactly. It reminds me of a. Uh, I don't know if you don't uh, if you know of a. Uh, crap, is his name Tokugawa Ieyasu? He was the first emperor of Japan, uh, first shogun. Oh. Of Japan, uh, after the Warring States period, first shogun of Japan after the Warring States period, and he was so powerful, so powerful and respected throughout Japan. He asked all everyone to hand in their swords, and he melted them into a giant statue of the Buddha. And so, needless to say, whoa, yeah, imagine having that much power. Whoa. Needless to say, Madeira did not have that power because nobody handed in their guns. <laughs> yeah. And just politely asking, so that kind of shows how 
And obviously, yeah. Zapata refused. But you have to understand, Zapata, um, for all the victories that Orozco, Villa, and Madero had in the north, Zapata had equal amount of victories. In fact, he had one uh, that was within 30 kilometers of Mexico City. So they were actually approaching the city, uh, the capital of Mexico, more so, and were threatening more so than the rebels in the north, one might say. So Zapata was a huge Madero stan at this point. And the revolution goes like, oh, he's going to bring reform. He's finally a liberal in office. He wasn't necessarily like, woo, yay. Mm -hmm. Because he's still a guy from the north and doesn't understand the struggles of a southern Mexican. But he was just like somebody, a change, not a porfiriato. Yeah. And Zapata and Madero and Zapata met, and they allegedly had very good talks. And this was before Madero was put in office. And then uh, the metaphorical crap hits the metaphorical fan. Because Madero appoints as governor of Morelos, Juan Carrion, who is a hacendado and one of, like, a rich elite. And Zapata's like, uh, that's not really that cool. Mm. And then a little unknown general at the time, Victoriano Huerta, is sent to um, Morelos... And he, there are some atrocities that happen. People die, and then like Madero calls him back because a lot of people die in Mexico. And Zapata's like, "Hey, what's that?" And then Madero's like, "Oh, it's just it was a training exercise gone wrong. It was, mm. it was just like it was weird and shady." And Zapata's like, "Huh?" And then Madero asks Zapata in a letter if he and his army would like uh, uh, would like to guard. Uh, haciendas and the hacendados of Morelos. And then Zapata's like, no, I'm against the hacienda system. And like, Zapata is really insulted at this point. And so yep. Madero sends an official because he kind of realized, oh crap, tensions are running deep. And he sends officials to meet with Zapata. And they are at his house. And Zapata's like meeting with them and then with some of his own guys. And then he looks out the window and his house is surrounded by federal troops. And so he kind of bum, feels bum, like, bum. he's like, hey, what's this? And he's like, and they're like, don't worry, we can, we can have these negotiations after you surrender. And Zapata's like, bruh. <laughs> and so I don't know how it kind of, the textbook <laughs> kind of skips over it, but <laughs> just it broke out. Yeah, he just like, well. Let's use artistic license and say he like Naruto like <laughs> yeah. like banishing ninja yeah. skills, uh, shadow clone jutsus out mm -hmm. of there, yeah. head cannon, and <laughs> he gets he gets on out of there and escapes into the Morelos Mountains. And Zapata's obviously insulted, and it's at this point he's like, I'm gonna go talk to their manager. I'm gonna go talk to Madero himself. Ooh. And so, and because he wants to bridge the gap, he doesn't want to believe Madero is. Like, he's that's insulted by all these guy, things, yeah. but he's like, maybe this is just a misunderstanding. And that, that's one of the part of Zapata, uh, parts of Emiliano Zapata I like, is his level-headedness, because he knows, like... He doesn't jump to conclusions. Yeah, he's like, revolutionaries are, like, bloody and awful. Let's try our best not to get wrapped yeah. up into it. And so he uh, went to, like, the presidential palace and demanded lead ref uh, land reform. But there's a famous photo of him, like, wait... Madero tells him to wait in line, like, with, like, tons of other people, and, like, just never meets with Zapata. So there's a famous picture of him, like, outside Madero's office, just, like, waiting in line. Whoa. Yeah. 
Yeah, and so he is insulted. He never gets to meet with Madero, only meets with like side officials who are like, huh, well, I can't do anything about it. And so oh he leave, he's in Mexico City for like two months, and he's like, I can't get out of there quick enough. I didn't meet with anybody. And then he had returned with nothing and said, I am revolting. And so he wrote the plan de Ayala. So add this to your plan list with the San Luis Potosí. Plan de Ayala, it said, the return of stolen land, the breakup of haciendas, and it was a huge diss at Madero. And uh, the plan de Ayala is really influential because a lot of the Latin American revolutions that we talk about or are going to talk about that happen in the coming, coming decades mm. are based on plan de Ayala, breaking up these companies that have you know, ravaged the citizens of Latin America, but at this point in Mexico. So, and also Zapata has done a complete 180 on his feelings for uh, Madero, as he says, (laughs) I want to see that man hang in Mexico City. (laughs) And so he kind of starts revolting. And Shane, can you tell us what happens in 1912? Yes. um, What what, what is this? this? Uh, Oh, yeah, so... He declared Pascal Erosco as the chief officer of the revolution. Oh, okay. So, Erosco has hatred towards Madero as well during this time. So, Zapata declares Erosco as a chief officer. And Um, and this kind of shows, like, he doesn't want it to be all him. He's not a a drama queen. But... (laughs) At the same time, it gave t- to legitimacy to Zappy. Yeah, I caught uh, in my notes. I wrote the Zapata. Uh, Zapata is a uh, Zappy. Zappy. That's actually pretty good. Yeah. Um. Do so, you, do you think that's what his friends called him? <laughs> Ciao, Zappy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Ciao, Zappy. <laughs> Mi compa, Zappy. Mi compa. Uh, so, back on the other side during on the. <laughs> <laughs> on the Federale side, Madero declares Victoriano Huerta as commander of the Federale. Oh, would that would that be the guy that you know committed all those atrocities in Morelos? Yes, he did. And something we have to point out is that Zapata's love for Morelos runs deep. Oh yes, it's all. This is all for Morelos, really. Yeah. This is all for Morelos. He's just a little country boy. He's also the mayor work. of Nna Cuoco as well. Yeah, so yeah. that's important to note as well. But. That, yeah, sure, he wants the best for Mexico, but he wants the best for his hometown of Morelos. Yeah, he's a he's a rural boy with a rural heart. Yeah, he is. He really is. <laughs> <laughs> but, so, Victorio, uh, Victoriano Huerta... You can call is, him Vicky. Vicky is sent to kill Zappi. <gasps> no! Vicky must kill Zappi. So... It's the battle of the century. Uh, oh, yeah, okay, so Zappi... Uh, uh, fleas, right? We talked about that already. Yeah, he did. And guerrilla like, war. They like, they like try to have like show enough battles, like not really. And Zapata like sees their well formed army and is like, oh crap, let's get the heck out of Dodge, and like starts a guerrilla war, basically, right? Yeah. So, Pancho Villa and Huerta. That's a that's a, this is a good thing to look at right now. So. Mm-hmm. Pancho Villa actually, out of all of the revolutionaries, Rosco, Zapata, all these Zapatistas, he remained loyal to Madero. Yeah, he was like. But he is sent. Uh, he becomes colonel under Madero and is working under guess who? Victoriano, freaking Huerta. <gasps> no. Um, um, and so there's an issue with a horse. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know all the details. Can you tell me that story, Parker? So it, it's actually kind of just like 
no one knows. That, that's the true, thing. There's not I mean, that many details. Yeah. About the, there's so many different accounts. But there's a fight about his horse between Pancho Villa's horse and uh, Huerta. So, yeah, I talk about uh, in this flashcard. So let's put a pin in the horse discussion because I get to that a little bit later on oh, okay, this card. Okay. Orozco decides to go north. He can't, he can't, like, handle the pressure of, like, fighting in the south. So he heads north. And Huerta is really bogged down in the hunt for Zapata because he's unfamiliar with Morelos, and the guerrilla war is just chipping away at his troops, so he's like, I can't be pressured. Let me go after an actual general named Orozco. And he just totally starts wrecking the crap out of Orozco. Mm-hmm. Like, Orozco hasn't seen tactics like this, and it really hurts the legitimacy of Orozco just because he gets his ass utterly handed to him every single time. And so, boosts the reputation of Huerta and the government and really, like, insults the revolution. So, yeah, Villa gets captured and apprehended by Huerta over an argument over a horse. And this is where this comes in. So, Huerta has a real negative opinion on Villa to begin with because Villa begins to start getting really popular within the federal army. Everybody's like, oh, look at this kid. He's really crazy. But... But Johnny Huerta looks at him and sees nothing but a bandito. Nothing mm. but a little ruffian. <laughs> Which he kind of is, though, to yeah, be honest. Yeah, he is. Yeah, I mean, he ain't wrong. Yeah. But, like, he has all these assumptions about Via. And then there's an argument over a horse. If I'm correct, it isn't even about Via's horse. It's about one of his, like, friend's horse. And Via gets um. involved. But either way, Huerta arrests him and, like, has him almost shot, uh, like, in front of the firing squad, and then Madero comes in and is like, hey. Don't do that. This guy's pardoned. Don't kill him. Just throw him in prison. And then he's imprisoned, and then during a prison transfer, he breaks free and joins the revolution. So it's almost like none of that could have flipping happened if they didn't appoint Huerta. And this is a big problem with Madero, is him appointing, like, the wrong chap. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, if he just appointed a competent guy, none of this would have, like, flipping happened. You know what I'm saying, Hoss? Mm-hmm. But instead it did. And so Villa went to Chihuahua and raised an army of 7,000 troops. And Madero, during this time, also focused on political reform. And the revolution continues. Because it's basically the main general for the Federales was Victoriano Huerta, and he's trying to manage a war in the south and the north against Orozco and now Villa. So, mm. Shane, what happens after this, after this continued fighting in 1912? I actually want to look back at something. Is it okay if I bring up Villa's backstory? Oh, my God. Yeah. So, Villa, yes, you could say he is a little bit of a thief, like a, mm. a bandit, if you uh, will. I would call him a bandit. A, cha- uh, a, a chaotic neutral? Yes, a chaotic ne- <laughs> Yes. So, when Villa was a young, young boy... How young is- were you talking? I don't know how was how old are these like twelve six months. Oh. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> he was six months. He old. was something. He was he was like a child. His sister got raped by a hacienda owner. Way to flip and set the mood. Yeah, I know. I did. Very tragic. So what does Via do? He shoots the hell out of the freaking hacienda owner that raped his sister. So I like this. Just like one shot. I, I, I don't know. Do you know the answer? Yes. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I'm the one asking. Enough to kill him. So, um, like two? Probably. Uh, 
I don't know. I don't know. So, but he kind of has this like bandit backstory where he kind of just runs around, goes shooting up things. You'll see this with V a lot, where he just kind of like his solution is violence, kind of mm-hmm. uh, most of the time. He kind of resorts to shooting things. Yeah, and we'll he, see that he later. Loves shooting things, but so that's kind of the backstory you need to know for Via. Is that like necessarily, He's not. I wouldn't necessarily him seeing him in that federal like position is quite strange. Because he is just a bandit, kind of, in a way. I mean, he is a revolutionary, and he's fighting for the revolution, but, like, it's just kind of strange to see. But moving into 1913, I kind of want to jump back to the United States for a second. Okay. So you have Henry Lane Wilson, who was the uh, ambassador for Mexico. May I say, it's really confusing, like, reading textbooks on this, because they refer to him as Wilson, and at the same time, we have Woodrow Wilson. Yeah, at the exact same time. So during... La Day, wait, when Wilson was elected in 1914, if I'm not mistaken, correct? Yeah, so, but like, so, yeah. So, what, Henry Lane Wilson was not a huge fan of Madero, and he thought that Huerta could fix something. Yes. If, he, if Huerta might become president. Henry Lane Wilson was the ambassador for Mexico in the United States, and he was under Taft, and Taft didn't really give too, too much about it. Too flying poop-poops. Too, too flying poop-poops. So, Henry Lane Wilson was kind of able to get away with... La decena tragica. Tragica. No. So, the ten tragic days. Oh, that's what it means. Mm. I thought it was like the penguin in fall. The ping, the, the tragic penguin. <laughs> the tragic penguin. Um, that so sounds like a children's book. Victoriano, <laughs> Victoriano Huerta, some other generals, Felix Diaz, uh, Mondragon. Uh, what was his first name? Do you remember his name? Yes. Why, my favorite guy. Uh, Mondragon, you said his name was? Man. What was, was his first name? He was such a good, a good, like, guy, you know? Mondragon, he was like, he, some people say he could actually turn into a dragon, but I doubt that he actually could, because just how, like, cool he was, you know, Holmes? Because, like, turning into a dragon, uh, is like crazy, you know what I'm saying? Manuel. <laughs> Manuel Mondragon. <laughs> I definitely wasn't just and flipping through the So, chest. okay, and with Reyes, Boar Reyes. Is that his, what is his name? What? His name was Bernardo. Bernardo Reyes. Um, okay, so they all run this coup d'etat against Madero. Yeah. Which is quite strange, because if you don't remember, Victoriano Huerta was put into a major position by Madero. Yeah. Well, wouldn't you say this was a top ten anime betrayal? Yes, top ten anime betrayal right here. They should make an anime about this. Puerto Madero-san! Madero-san. So, after this, it's basically a coup d'etat against Madero and uh, Pino Suarez, who is the vice president. Yes. And so Madero and Pino Suarez are sent to prison by Huerta. Well, that's and then the they thing. are killed. Yeah, right that's the thing. Him. Huerta like kind of ties it over. Made- it wasn't. It's alleged that like Madero never knew that Huerta was like a part of it. You know, because he, yeah. he was like, "All right, just here, get in the car, and we're gonna go you uh, take you away somewhere." You know, mm. and, and also sign this document saying that you're not the president anymore. Oh. And like. And then on the car ride, they were taken out of the car and were going to, like, switch cars or, like, you know, elude people, and they were shot and killed mm. by loyal Huertaists. Yeah, okay, okay. Back, back, back to your story. Sorry, I'm so sorry. So, Huerta. 
is is he the interim president? Uh, basically, he names himself as like the president. <laughs> yeah, he where it is like okay. I'm president, guys. I Which is what Henry Lynn Wilson wanted, so... <laughs> you know, do you know that scene in uh, Wallace and Grummet Curse the Were-Rabbit, and he's like, my poor child, we all share in your moment <laughs> yes, of yes, mourning. Let us all pause for a moment of brevity. <laughs> Just like... Yes, I love it. Um, okay, Ooh, where was I? Okay, so... Puerta becomes president, and it's kind of like this return to the Porfiriato. Puerta, mm-hmm. as president, is some of the most bloodiest, mm-hmm. bloodiest years. La mano dura. Si, si, si. The strong hand. Or yes. the durable hand. Yes, yeah, <laughs> I thought it was, yeah, I thought it was mano durable or something like that. Uh, la yeah. mano dura, but I could have just yeah. stopped it. Dura. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you never know with my notes. So, like an iron fist, I guess you could say. So... There's a lot of fighting that goes on. I mean, that's what happens when you put this in, mm-hmm. like, you know, general in power, mm-hmm. you know. So, ori- yeah, it's interesting to note that, like, originally the revolution was fractured because we're like, okay, let, we'll, we'll see what Madero does in office, you know? Because this is, like, he's only had, like, a year, a little, maybe a little over a year at this point. So a lot of revolutionaries are like, oh, okay, hold on. And then Huerta, like, seizes, like the throne, per se, or the presidency. Mm-hmm. And then so the revolutionary is like, oh, okay, this is what, what we what we wanted. So it kind of like fully fractures the nation, mm-hmm. one might say. It really does. But Huerta makes unique changes to the government system. <gasps> what unique changes? No Congress. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I want to know that meeting. Like, Huerta, like, <laughs> okay, y'all, you been fired. <laughs> yeah, like, okay, well, first meeting. Um, y'all, y'all are fired. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny, but um, if, if I would suggest looking up a picture of Huerta because he looks like a mean person, and you can just like kind of see it all. He reminds me of your grandfather. He looks just like my papa. <laughs> it was c- creepy because I saw him and like I imagined your your Yeah, papa. I know exactly. <laughs> um, so. Where to later, I, I, that's probably on your card, so I won't talk too much about it. It's not really recognized by the U.S., but... Um, that's actually the first bullet point. Yes, so... Let me see, let me see. Yeah, he he replaced local officials with military. Wait, is that what that's Yeah, with military guys. Yeah, yeah. and so... He demands loyalty. If now, he doesn't have loyalty, then you ain't it. It was, a, re- it was a return to the Porfiriato. You must be a Huerta man till the end, yeah. okay? so You must have three tattoos mm-hmm. of Huerta <laughs> in, order, in order to ride this ride. You yeah. know what I'm saying? So Huerta, I would say he's way more of a dictator than Porfiri. 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 Porfiri Porfiri Diaz. But because just like... If you, the only way to be in his office is by being like, you know, you praise Huerta every day, you know. Yeah. You pray not east towards Mecca. You pray wherever. South. Else. <laughs> yeah. South. To, yeah. South towards Huerta, and then, but um, so yeah, he just kind of enters this like reign of terror. He just yeah. sends a Mexico into this reign of terror. It's horrible. So. El reino terrible. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that's right. I hope that's right. I hope it is, because I'm having the full plan. I, I have my oral soon, and may I say, um, es no bueno. Es no bueno. <laughs> muy mal. Estoy muy triste. <laughs> 
and that's all I know. Yeah, that's all I know. <laughs> Congratulations. And he has uh, to talk for 15 minutes. Mi nombre es Paco. <laughs> me llamo Paco. Yeah, me llamo Paco is what you would ask. Well, same thing. Same yeah. thing. Same I don't know. I don't get why we don't say mi nombre es Paco or mi nombre es Sergio. I, I I just don't say it because I think it's I think it's I know numero is number but I always like second guess myself I'm like wait number is number even though it's not yeah so, I do that a lot too myself so, so I'm just like make it anyways yeah that's besides the point <laughs> yeah. Shane will now speak in Spanish the rest of this episode <laughs> derecha I will not be talking <laughs> verdad there we go okay either way the 1913 more 1913. So, Wilson refused to recognize Huerta, and this angered the balls out of Huerta, because Huerta's like, oh my god, Henry Lane Wilson said this, this, and this, and Woodrow Wilson was like, okay, first off, Henry Lane Wilson, you've coming back, and we're gonna, like, knock some sense into you, dog, and, like, was like, Huerta, you mean old drunk, you ain't getting any of my recognition, mm-mm-mm, and so that led to a lot of anti-U.S. sentiment, even more so in Mexico. And it's weird the 180 that this took, because originally it was the government that was pro-U.S. was like, mm, look at our economy, look at how great it is. And the rebels who are like anti-U.S. because of all the companies, you know? Mm-hmm. But now it's the government and <laughs> and the rebels who are anti-U.S. So really it's a, a whole lot of anti-U.S. sentiment, you know? It's mm-hmm. just crazy. So Wilson embargoed Huerta and the revolutionaries and sent John Lind, a governor from Minnesota, to, like, kind of gauge the Mexican situation. I was like, all right, let's see. What do we need to do? And at this point, Huerta's already angry. And so John Lind suggests, he's like, imagine sitting down with Huerta. Shane, you be Huerta for a second, and I'll be John Lind, okay? Yeah. Uh, okay, hello, hello, Huerta. It's, um, so I was, I was looking at the situation, how you don't have a Congress, how, uh, all your people are dying in all your labor camps, you know? Um... So I think we should have elections <laughs> to see who should rightfully rule Mexico. And you can imagine how that went. So John Lynn yeah, kicked out of Mexico. Huerta's obviously insulted. And also during this time, Huerta threw a prominent revolutionary, Abraham Gonzalez, mentor to Pancho Villa, threw him under a train and killed him. And this was happening all throughout oh, Mexico. Boy. Because Abraham Gonzalez was the governor of Chihuahua, but he wasn't loyal to Huerta, to oh. Vicky, to Vicky H, as the he, as he became known as Vic 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 Vic, uh, and yeah, he was killed. And Wilson, since was like, okay, I gotta find somebody to support in this revolution, was like, ah, oh, yes, Vistuiana Carranza, that's my guy, this old man looking dude, kind of mm-hmm. looks like my grandfather, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> a little bit. He does with, a, with a longer yeah. beard. Yeah, but he's just like. And Carranza was like, no, I'm tired of the U.S. meddling with our affairs and says, mm-mm, to aid. And then Wilson kind of opens, like later in 1913, he kind of opens his embargo to revolutionaries, which further insults Huerta. And Carranza writes the Plan de Guadalupe, which rejected Huerta and basically placed himself as president, not effectively, but was just like, I am fit to rule as president. Huerta is not recognized as president. That's yeah. the big thing. That is the big thing. And the Plan de Guadalupe placed Carranza as like the the El Presidente kind of, just like by his own word. It's like Shane writing the Plan de Fultondale and saying, I'm the king. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. It yeah. doesn't really have any backing. But a lot of constitutionalists would 
Yeah, lots of constitutionalists, which happened later, Mr. Spoiler. (laughs) I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. But in 1913, uh, uh, the Plan de Guadalupe also didn't have any reform mentioned. No political, no social, and no economical. Mm. So it was also just like, oh, so you just want to place yourself as king. Uh, Well, presidente. So a lot of people were poo-pooing on that. And Carranza... um, was a prominent general, but he was for, forced to Sonora by Huerta. Say what you want about Huerta, but he was, like, militarily competent, you know? He knew how to, like... Yeah, he was... He was good at whipping up on rebels. That yeah, he, he was. was. And that's also why these were the bloodiest years of the revolution. Because exactly. Because it, it was the most competent, competent part. And also, Huerta did something, because originally it was Orozco, uh, Carranza, Obregón, Calles, uh, Zapata, and Villa... All against Huerta, but Huerta actually turned like Orozco to the dark side, and Huerta. I mean, Orozco worked. Yeah, Orozco worked with Huerta. So you see, like the changing of allegiances, yeah. where Orozco just wants to, you know, like it's just like I'm tired of fighting. This guy's promising me a pension. Let's fight. And so Villa fought, uh, and Villa joined up with Carranza and Obregón and Calles and fought alongside them for many battles. And Shane, what happened next, doll? So, Huerta is outstretched. Yeah, his forces are fighting all over all the over the place. So you have Obregon, mm-hmm. right? Obi, o- Obedi, Obi, Obi in the west, <laughs> Obi Gran Obi, in the north, Zapata in the south. <laughs> you can laugh. It's and hilarious. you have Carranza kind of leading this all, right? So you have a lot of stuff going on. Everyone's everywhere, fighting everywhere. Yeah. Once again, very bloody. So, but there's a big battle at Zacatecas, which is right, right next to the cap. It's right next to Mexico City, if I'm not mistaken. It's it's pretty darn close. Yeah, it's pretty darn close. And the Federales lose, and Villa is actually kind of the main, uh, the main, main predominant leader in that kind of battle, right? El Jefe, yeah, El Jefe, and and yeah, he's the he's the general in that battle. Nobody that was Villa's troops that won that battle. So, after that, Puerta Puerta gets out. Yeah, Huerta's Huerta. like, oh, oh, I'm outie. Oh, shizzy. I'm out. I need, I need to jump. And he goes to Germany, actually, I believe, right? And then he's, like, caught and then, like, killed or something. I don't remember what exactly well, he happened. Go, I believe he goes to Germany for a, a hot and then he minuto, goes to the and then he goes to the U.S. Yeah. And then he actually raises an army to, like, enter the U.S., and he's and then caught he's, at the border. And, yeah, exactly. So Lovely story. Yeah, beautiful. Well, he's thrown in jail. So, after that... Same you know, Via. You know, Via won this battle, right? But Via doesn't want none of that, none of that cool fancy stuff. He don't want that, that smoke, dog. He don't want. He don't want. He don't want that smoke of the prezi. Mm-hmm. He don't want that smoke of being the prezi. Nah, 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 nah. <laughs> Obregon actually doesn't really like Via that much. He actually cut off his damn arm. But um, Obregon marches into Mexico City without Via. <gasps> without? Well, that happens later. Via cutting off his arm. That happened. That happened yeah. That ha- uh, sorry. Was that a spoiler? spoilers? I, well, it's like we never. It was never mentioned in the reading or anything. So well, it's like it's kind of it's kind of by context when you see pictures of him with his arm being so happy and then yeah. like depressed. Like <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> <He> looks- <laughs> sad obese. Yeah. So power. It's a power grab, right? Yeah. And uh, but by him like just being like even though. The battle that ended the revolution was Via. He's like, I'm marching into Mexico City. Look at me doing my sexy catwalk all over the yeah. Teotihuacan he actually floor. Keeps, he actually keeps Via out of Mexico City. So, yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's kind of... 
Obregon kind of takes that power and just like holds it up in Mexico, and that's kind of like the end of that. And it, you have the Civil War that kind of yeah. breaks out. So and this then, is, for more of 1914, it's like the setup. You have the end of like Huerta's reign, but then you also have the setup to the Civil War part of the Mexican yeah, Revolution. Yeah, exactly. So. Villa and Obregon. Carranza orders Obregon to like meet with Villa, and at the point, Obregon's like, he, he's like, all right, let's settle things. Well, let's plan the future of Mexico. And Villa and Obregon, they have like pretty beneficial discussions. Like, ah, oh, I see your point of view. Yeah. Yada yada yada. And then Villa tries to kill Obregon twice because during these discussions, uh, <laughs> uh, because during these discussions, Carranza like cuts railway lines and telegraph lines to like strand Villa in the middle of the desert. Like, several times. And so Via's like, I'm going to, like, kill this man. Because, like, <laughs> uh, he's like, you send your guy, and you're, like, stranding me in the desert. And so Obregon left without an alliance. And this really starts, like, an anti-Caranza shift in Obregon's mind. Because he's like, I could have died. And this guy's, like, trolling <laughs> trolling Via. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. yeah. And I could have <laughs> straight up died. And so it really starts anti-Caranza sentiment within the mind of Obregon. And so the war stopped. There's like a period of like, ah, yes, tranquility. And then there was the meeting at Aguas Calientes. Very important. Very, very nice city, according to Google Maps. Um, <laughs> Zapatistas, Villaistas, Carniquistas, uh, uh, Obregonistas. All the Eastas, All baby. the Eastas, Modernistas, and some Madeiraistas. Yeah. Uh, all the Eastas. So this, this was an Easter convention of yeah. the century. Yeah. If you were an Easter, you were here, bro. Yeah. Easter, Popa Eastas, were they? Yeah. <laughs> everybody, everybody. They, Mama Oklo Eastas. Mama Oklo Eastas. <laughs> there were. Man, there were. Conistas. There, everybody was there. Jay-Zistas. Jay-Zistas. jesus <laughs> Oh, my God. We get so Okay, okay. Carranza, during the meeting, so it was just basically like to plan out the future of Mexico, what should happen, a constitution, what's the government going to look like. Villan Zapata didn't really want the presidency. Obregón didn't have as much influence. So it was basically like Carranza. But the thing is, nobody liked Carranza. <laughs> Carranza was like... You know that kid in, like, elementary school when you're playing with blocks is like, we're going to build a fort. And then, like, you're like, no, I actually just wanted to do something else. And Carranza's like, fort time. You know, <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, takes yeah. all the blocks. That's kind of yeah. like Carranza's just very power hungry. And that's, like, the impression he left on many of the members. And yeah. so Carranza was insulted several times, especially when they suggested, like, let's hold elections to figure out who's going to be the president and we're going to forbid you from being on the ballot because, you know, you kind of named yourself president in, like, mm. the plan de Agua Prieta, which was, like, his plan to, like, get rid of Puerta, I yeah. believe. And whatever. <laughs> Carranza left with his crew and left Aguas Calientes to Veracruz and formed the Constitutionalists. And Villa and Zapata marched on Mexico City and became conventionalists. And this starts the Mexican Civil War between the Conventionalists and the Constitutionalists. Yep. And Shane, tell me what happened down in 1915. Oh, Fauchism, my nizzle. Carnicistas? Yeah. uh, Oh, murdering of Carnicistas. Yeah, so while they're there, Villaistas, like, flipping ravaged Mexico City. Yeah, they do. So, 
Viistas actually kind of have this issue of like uh, they kind of like to loot things a lot. Being animales. Yeah, they are animales. Via so Via loses support from uh, the U.S. Actually. Oh God. Which becomes a little bit of an issue later. We'll look into that. Uh, homeboy Obe Stack Obi <laughs> Obi Obergon Carranza uh, gain. Uh, ooh, what does that say? What does that say? Uh, so Via lost support by doing this, uh, by like his Viaistas killing like a lot of people, and Obregon and Carranza gained a lot of influence. Okay, yeah. And oh, this is a lot. There, yeah, uh, there's a lot of yeah, fighting lot of going, on. going on. There's a lot of battles going on, but the main important one is Shane. Tell us about it. So you had the Battle of Salaya. 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 So. Oh, Shane has to take a drink of his non-sponsored Overgone and Via just, they their hatred towards each other grows. Oh, yeah. They, they and, um... Like, we don't talk anymore. Yeah. We don't talk. Okay, that was... We don't talk anymore. So, so Via splits up an army to deal with Calles, uh, who is... In Chihuahua City. In Chihuahua Very controversial City. decision. Contra- yes. Yeah, because, like, everybody knows Obi's gonna, like, attack uh, Salaya. So everybody's like, well, you can worry about Chihuahua City after you deal with his main force. And then he's like, nah. Yep. And, and he pulls uh, Scooby-Doo and splits up gang. And, yeah. Um, sorry, sorry for interrupting, Shane. That's all right. So Kai Ace is a general, if I'm not mistaken, right? Yeah, and, he's uh, a general. Uh, crap, what's, what's his first name? What's his first Plutarco. name? Plutarco. Plutarco Elias Kai Ace. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, no Zapata support, wait, because of rumors? What does yeah. this mean? So, Zapata... I don't remember this. Uh, Zapata doesn't support him, A, because Via never supports Zapata in his War of the South. And there was also rumors that, like, Via said, like, once I'm president, uh, we're going to have to get rid of Zapata because he just has too much influence. So, Zapata was like, uh, I don't really want to give this guy much su- any more support. You know? Yeah, exactly. And those were the real rumors circulating. Yeah. What is this? A used tray. So unprofessional. Win. So unprofessional. If my ha- if I wrote this, this would be way better. Oh oh okay. Did you write it, Shane? Did you feel have time to write it? Or make time to write it? So via <laughs> via outmaneuvers via. I mean, Overgone <laughs> outmaneuvers via. Man, that would be incredible. Via Kai Ace gets U.S. supplies, territory. He uses U.S. territory and, yeah. like, attacks Via, and Via's like, bruh. Yeah, Via does not get too happy about, you know... First of all, you have to realize that U.S. actually, like, prior to this, during the where today's, Via was quite loved by the United States. Oh, yeah, they had Hollywood people. They had Hollywood people come down and film Via's battles. That's how... And, and there was just so much propaganda up in the U.S. about Via being, like, a hero. Yeah. But... It's funny to see that completely, sh- completely shift. Yeah. So, absolutely. Um, he says, "Get Via." He says, "Get amnesty for betraying yeah. Via." So yeah, they get uh, Obergon. Ah, was, yeah, was I remember that. Problems in Chihuahua with Viaistas, and like a lot of Viaistas could see like the writing on the wall. And yeah. He was like, "You, yeah, uh, you know what? I'll give you amnesty if you just like, you know, stop being Viaistas." Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So they so, and then Via, similar to Zapata, flees to the mountains. Yes, and to regroup. 
Yeah. And so with a lot of the anti-American sentiment going on, Via, Via's troops, without Via, took their anger out because they stopped a train and they killed 16 Americans. And, like, mm. although this was, like, inexcusable to Americans, they were like, well, Via didn't actually do that. And then Via, with a group of, uh, <laughs> with a group of troops, went up to Columbus, New Mexico <laughs> and, like, raided and killed countless Americans. And Just because he's pissed that they stopped yeah. giving him support. And also to cause pro- international problems for President Carranza. Yeah. That's another so. reason he did it. And so... Uh, the president was like, all right, we're sending Jack Black <laughs> John J. Pershing to uh, with 10,000 troops without the permission of Carranza to invade Mexico and find Villa. And fun fact about this, uh, General George S. Patton, you know that you know that homeboy? Yeah. He was one of the troops. He was one of those troops. Wait, really? Down. Yeah, he was one of them troopies. That's weird. Yeah, he was sent down to find Villa. But here's the thing. Uh... They did it without consent, and nobody ever found Via. So it was like a legend of Via. It ended up just, he gained more popularity. And, like, yeah. cities across the way would, like, help Via escape and elude the Americans. But the Americans also, wow. like, severely cut down a lot of Viaistas. We'll just say that. Yeah. Like, <laughs> the Viaistas that were left Dang. and didn't have amnesty, they, like, wrecked the crap out of them. Because this is, like, a professional army. Yeah, the uh, U.S. is, against, like... like these Band- guys running Band-Dos. around in the in the desert, yeah. Yeah, like you have them like with uh I believe there's a famous fable of George S. Patton like chasing down a um chasing down a Viaista like with his uh on a horse with his revolver and via uh, and uh Patton chasing him down with an armored car with a machine gun mounted on the top. Like, oh it's my a, god. Like it's industri uh, an industrial Yeah, war. versus like these rural people, you know, yeah, on so horses and stuff. They, uh, so their numbers get ravaged, but that's not the main point. The main point is, like, Via gains, like, more influence and more power because everybody's like, oh, we want to protect our Mexican homeboy. And they do. And yeah. his legend grows, and the U.S. leaves, like, within a year. And Carranza is officially elected as president in 1916, and he wanted a new Congress, and he struggled with Obregon's influence. And also during this time... The U- the U.S. like took over Veracruz for a hot minute. A lot, not a lot of people talk about this, but they like took Veracruz because they were worried that it was going to fall to like the revolution's hands. And they like gave it back also within a year, but it also led to a lot of anti-American sentiment. Mm. And also during this time, the Zimmerman Telegraph happened. But before we get to that, let's talk about the 1917 Constitution. And here we. Absolutely. Go. Okay. Woo. The 1917 Constitution. What a banger. Yeah. So, 1917. Hot album. Hot album. Yeah, hot album here. So, 1917, a butt-ton happens, all right? So, writes a manifesto to the nation. An abundance happens. Okay. I'm going to say a butt-ton, because no one cares. (laughs) This is an informal place, okay? (laughs) <laughs> informal play. Yeah. Zapata wrote a manifesto to the nation. He denounces Carranza and uh, Paldo, uh, Carranza sends Paldo Pablo? Oh yeah, Pablo Gonzalez to eliminate Zapata. Yeah. So, Zapata's not a huge fan of Carranza. No! Because, um, you know, he just doesn't really spend too much focus on the whole land reform thing. And, you know, he's a constitutionalist. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Zapata just wants, just wants 
land reform, man. Yeah. Like, he just wants that. He just wants action. Reform this land, homie. Yeah, so... That's what he's about. Gone. Obregon resigned as war secretary to run against Carranza. Okay. Yeah, so, like, in 1917, he was like, I want to run against this fool next yeah. election. Yeah, okay. So, Obregon kind of steps down to uh, run against him, and but during that year... Carranza creates the 1917 Constitution. And this, can I say, this absolutely, like, dogged on every other Constitution. Yeah, for its time, incredibly revolutionary. Just, like, it, um, it just, like, you haven't seen anything like this. I mean, even the U.S. Constitution had nothing, you know. It took years, I mean, it took centuries Mm -hmm. for us to get where we were in, uh, you know, but this was all done 1917. Yeah, just one all document. in one year. Yeah, yeah, one document written. And it's all done. You have women's rights, you have education, you have land reform, you have labor reform, you have it all. You have it all, all, all. Some Article 27, based off uh, the Plan de Ayala, which focused on land reform. You also have Article 123, which was labor reform. You had Articles 24 and 130, which were concerned with uh, uh, church reform. And we should have went over this, how um, at this time, like, uh, the Porfiriato, like, ignored Le Lerdo and Le Juarez. So the church is a huge issue, like, with its power and influence. There was Article Three, education, and then there was many, many more, like the women's yes. rights and stuff. So. It dealt with political issues. It dealt with social issue, issues. It dealt with economic issues. Yeah, because the caste system was also huge issues with uh, mestizos, creoles, peninsulares. Yes. And that's, uh, I mean, it's... And also, during the creation of this constitution, you have to realize that so Carranza brought in everyone. You had someone from... You had revolutionaries from the north. You had revolutionaries from the south. All came into one room and came up with this perfect, mm-hmm. perfect piece of you know. But but whether they would follow it, is a yes. Whether they would follow it is a different question. They later we'll see that uh, actually it involves a lot of foreign involvement as well to kind of eliminate the U.S. from you know having so much involvement and in the economy of Mexico. Because Carranza was all for that, you know, kind of eliminating the foreign involvement. But yeah. they, they kind of had to find loopholes because they do run... Unfortunately, foreign involvement does run a whole lot of their economy. They can't just be like, no, and then their entire... Or their entire economy would completely collapse. Mm-hmm. So you can add on some more to that if you want to. But another big thing is women's rights, I think, is a yeah, really, really, really big In this one. revolution, Soldaderas... We're yes, like everywhere. people are fighting, so. like women were walking around, generals, generals yeah. in the revolution, Not, leading these people. They weren't just fighting, they were also like cooking for the army, running the trains. Yeah, they, they were, were doing, they did anything that a man could do in that whole entire revolution. Entering the workforce. Yeah, it was, it was incredible, it was incredible. And, but, and for labor reform, you can, had... Can I say, just big baller moment. Like for mm. for women. Yeah, seriously. Like if you look at the images of the Solidaris, they look so badass. Like I, them with the hats on, and they also had the satchels of bullets on and everything. Like yeah, it's like, like crazy. Like you never flipping war paint. I don't want to mess with her. Like, oh yeah, you don't want to mess with war paint. Please yeah. read. Uh, um, what, what what what? Oh my god. Oh my god. Oh my god. Oh my god. Azuela. Azuela. Underdogs. Underdogs. Sorry, I don't know why I just like brain farted the title it, of the book. Oh my god, to, I'm sorry. To quote Spike from I'm so uh, sorry, Cowboy Mr. Clayton. I love a woman who can kick my ass. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I need to watch that, by the way. It is, but, um, it is Big Baller. Yeah. 
Right, so I've heard. But you also had labor reforms such as minimum wage was set. Like a lot of things that kind of set up the uh, revolution were fixed because you had, you know, before you had all those riots in Chihuahua with foreign, where foreigners were getting paid more than... Where foreigners were getting paid more... <laughs> Sorry, I was throwing plastic together in the mic. Where foreigners were getting more pay than the Mexican workers in, like, mines and things like that, textile industries. Mm -hmm. And so labor reform kind of set a, where women, equal, equal pay, mm -hmm. first of all, a minimum wage. Oh, yeah. You had days off, maternity leave. Bow you sure. had um, just, like, this, like, re it's, it's revolutionary. It yes. is revolutionary, truly. And no more script either. You can but. It's paid in cash, baby, so you can buy whatever the heck you want. Oh, yeah, to. and that tremendously helps the economy because... It does, it really does. Because yeah. now we have workers that can actually, you know, buy stuff. Put, put money into the economy, yes, I know, exactly. So I think it's very, uh, and it's super revolutionary. And we, and we forgot to completely mention, like, the rights to vote just, like, in general. Like, at the end of the Porfiriato in Madero's election, only one-sixth of the Mexican population could vote. And now you had... A, uh, at this point, like, I believe it was four-sixths of the population could vote. Like, it's, it's getting there. It's yeah, getting it's there. getting there. It's so getting there. It, it was like, it was wilding, you know, dog. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, uh, also in 1917, Zapata's manifesto to the nation, which was like, Carranza is corrupt and evil and blah, 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 blah. Yeah. And, like, he is unlawfully, like, elected the president because he did because like only four sixths of the population can vote. He didn't do anything for land reform that much. He's just saying he is. He's lying. Yeah, you have. Um, this is probably later, but a heedle a heedle system. Yeah, the, the, that, that's that gone. Yeah, so we'll get into that, and that kind of evolves, like the elimination of the hacienda system, and but, then yeah. But yeah, the uh, manif the manifesto to the nation was like hugely controversial because everybody was like, okay, Carranza is our president, and then. Uh, Zapata, Zappy was like, nah, dog. And so Carranza's like, nah. all right, I'm going to send, uh, what's Some that guy? Kill you. Yeah, he sends Pablo, Pablo Gonzalez. Pablo Gonzalez to like, like, all right, get after him. And needs to say Pablo Gonzalez is down there for a while and we'll see what happens. Um, mm. so in, in 1918, the Crom forms, 1918's a relatively peaceful year. Uh, Crom forms, that's, pretty much it, but also in 1919... Which Crom is? Uh, the Confederation of Regional Mexican Workers. Mexican workers. Yeah. And it's led by Luis Marones, like a real fat cat type guy who like yeah. cuts deals, but people love him. And labor unions. Labor and, unions yeah. get stuff done. And like, yeah, strikes become very limited because during the Perfuriado, there's a lot of strikes put down very harshly, but Luis Moroni's, like, encouraged strikes, encouraged unions, and, like, it led to less strikes. So, yeah, very, yeah. very good for the Mexican economy. But then, in 1919, Pablo es uh, Escobar, Pablo <laughs> Gonzalez, was like, man, I just can't catch this guy. And seemingly betrayed, uh, betrayed what's-his-face, uh, Carranza. Like, it was all a, it was all a facade. And it was like, here, let's meet on how I can help you with the revolution in this uh, in this barn with none of your friends. And mm. Zapata was like, okay. <laughs> and rip Zapata, and he was gunned it's, down. It's actually quite interesting. Like, there were some guys that were actually like, 
they were gonna shoot up in the air for like honor or something like that, I yeah. believe. And then instead of shooting up in the air, they aim their guns right at Zapata and fire. And it's have you seen the picture of him like sprawled out? Like, no, I have. It's very like. It's uh, it's very like poetic. Like I don't know wh- who had a picture like yeah, a yeah, like, yeah. camera like, right there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but it's just very like oh man, mm. that's wild, bro. And yeah, very dark day for the revolution. Also during this time, Morello suffered. Also, I think it was 1918. Actually, they were just like, okay, Via, we're done with your shiznaz, brother. Um, uh, oh no, it was 1920. Excuse me. Obregon versus Ignacio Benias for El Presidente. Uh, Carranza's term is up, and Carranza, instead of uh, promoting his boy Obi, who's been there since him with the beginning, he promotes Ignacio Benias, like a relatively unknown. So a lot of people think he's gonna he's gonna use you know him as a puppet, and so Obi was like, Mm-mm-mm. and he wrote the Plan de Agua Prieta. That was not Carranza. I think I said that earlier. I think I meant the Plan de Guadalupe. But the plan de Agua Prieta was just, like, calling people to arms against Carranza. Like, calling him a despot and stuff like that. And was like, he's not following his own constitution. Blah, 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 blah. And Carranza was like, oh, crap. Because Obregón, like, had a big army, had a lot of influence. And Carranza tried to flee to Veracruz. And he, in fact, put the nation's treasury, like, on a train. And so it was kind of like a pirate situation where people were, like, chasing the train to, like, get the gold and stuff. Yeah. Really, it's very cool. Really wild. And then Carranza died while sleeping during a train crash because his train derailed and he was killed. Absolutely wild. Yeah. Uh, Carranza died. And then after this, in 1920, we see the rise of three Sonorans gaining a lot of influence Obregon, De La Huerta, and Calles. So after, after Carranza, De La Huerta. Since the whole Obregón and Ignacio Benias like became violent, they were like, "Okay, we need De La Huerta to step in as like passive for like six months so that we can calm mm-hmm. the situation." So he's in president for six months, and that's when he strikes the deal with Villa, just being like, "Okay, we're done with the fighting. Obregón lost his flipping arm. Let's just let's just like yeah. let's calm down, smoke another J, and <laughs> yeah. like relax." And he gives Villa a hacienda in Durango, and Villa's like, "Ah, perfect." I don't end up like Zapata, and so, like, he just left. And that was 1920. It's the beginning of Obregón's presidency, and I would like to apologize because at this point, my notes get really, like, unstructured when it comes to a timeline. So this is all in the 1920 to 1930s area. The, the, all the stuff that happens is linear, but I just don't put a number next to them. So just know that this is in the 1920 to 1930 range. Yeah. I okay. apologize Direct your blame completely at the Wells family. All of family. these are Obregon, right? All yeah. of these years are... To uh, the Wells family. To 1924. To 1924? <laughs> yeah. Okay. I, I, I was, that was a little choke. That was a little choke. Okay, I'm sorry. God. So, so Obregon, <sighs> Obregon is in office. Yeah. But something... i you got to realize that Obregon has this like kind of like idea in his mind, like, okay, the revolution needs to end. Yeah. Okay. We've, we've we had this. We had. We we've been wilding for too long. We had this 1917 Constitution. Let's do something. You yeah. know what I'm saying? So, labor reform. <gasps> labor. How does he deal with this? He gives Crom political power. He makes no. deals with Crom. No. Labor unions have a political voice now. Whoa. Mm. You mean like Luis Morones? Yes. Impact. Yes. Yes. Luis Morones. You have agrarian reform. Whoa. 
a heedle system. Ooh, so now this is important. This is quite important. So the hacienda system was abolished. Yes. Yes. And well, then well, kind of not not really. Yeah. It wasn't abolished. We want to say that, okay? We want to say that it 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 wasn't because yeah. remember like they did they because it was important to the economy the hacienda system. Remember, and so like okay. Yeah, they yeah. have the unariable land, the the ajitos. Yeah, the so the ajito system was kind of poo poo. Not gonna lie to you. Yeah. So basically, it was like this big government piece of land that was absolute ass. Like you couldn't grow anything on it. <laughs> it was like it was like taking a kid in the candy store and like <laughs> yeah, being like and being like vegetables okay. or something. <laughs> it's them, like broccoli. Giving them cowtails. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like yeah. Muddy so it's, it sucks <laughs> balls. Okay. So the ejido system. It was this big like non like arable piece of land. But but that's the thing. People were happy. They're like, yeah, oh they my were, God. woo woo, <laughs> uh, But but seriously, but it was like government owned, and they would split it up and give it to certain people. But like, it gave like it kept government control. Yeah, really. t- it was typically families so that they could just like control them. Yeah, know? yeah, it was. So it just kind of like, the, it wasn't like here here's your land. Yeah, here's land you work for. You know, yeah. you're growing crops for us, the government. Yeah. So, I mean, it's just kind of, it just... It gave structure to an unstructured system. But you had subsoil rights. Yes, this was huge. Huge, huge, huge subsoil rights. So For the sovereignty of Mexico. For the sovereignty of Mexico. The sovereignty of Mexico. So people that owned the land, they they had subsoil rights, right? What? Or they lost subsoil. Or was it... No, subsoil rights describes, like, what comes out of the Yeah, land. I know, I know, I know. I'm saying... They gain subsoil. Oh, they gain. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you before, if you like, let's say you bought a piece of land in Mexico before yes. before the Constitution before Obregón, let's say you bought a piece of land and you like strike oil. Woo, oil. I'm rich. That's not yours. You're not rich. I'm not rich. It goes to the government. But now... And then the government would give that to the U.S. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So it just wasn't very good. But now you get that oil. You get that oil. You get that gold that you find in the ground. You get that silver that you find in the ground. So dim dollar dollar bills, yo. They can all be yo. Mexico. Something you should think about is Mexico produces twenty percent of the world's oil at, at this, this time. At this time, yes. So oil's a big deal in Mexico, oh, and yeah. but U.S. It's owns seventy five percent of Mexico's oil. Yeah, they bought seventy five percent. Seventy five percent. Of twenty percent of the world, yeah, of twenty percent of the world's oil. You can do the math. Yeah. So just um, imagine. Well, Shane, what percentage of Wyland is that at? That's a good question. Uh, well, let's do. Well, let's do the math. Let's have a math minute. Mm. If we take the derivative b and plug in negative b plus or minus the square root that's, um, of four that's a- squared. That's like Over more than that's more than ten percent of the world's oil. Yeah. So, dang. Yeah. President Coolidge, who you know now in office. Now in office, uh, recognizes Obregon. So you have some, you know, U.S. support. Yeah, he's like, okay, Obi, but this isn't after the Bucarelli Accords mm. because they were really concerned about the. This is after. Oil. Yeah, because they were oh, they wouldn't get recognition. I, I meant to put it in there. That's yeah. my bad. They they were like, um, uh, we won't recognize you until we know we're getting a fair deal. And Obregon was like, oh my gosh. And th- that's why 
I kind of feel bad for Obergon because he's having to do so much, you know? He's having to appease, like, so every that, The thing about person. the Bucarelli Accords is that, yes, we have this constitution, but it was like, all right, this isn't going to work. How you can know? we get around this? Yeah, how can we get around... Yeah, like, that, that's the biggest issue, I think. It's just like, how can we get around this? Which is kind of sucky because they were like, oh, but yay, no more foreign involvement. But then, like, the U.S. is like, We'll, we'll find a way. Obergon and the, the Bucarelli Accords, they just find a way. And Obergon kind of realizes, crap, we kind of need a little bit of foreign involvement. <laughs> yeah, we, uh, guys, I'm sorry, but uh, uh, the U.S. is going to stay. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but that's just kind of how it works, unfortunately. I mean, that's kind of what you had to do, though. I mean, yeah. you can't really get mad at Obergon because if he said no, it would have went all to crap. Yeah. So, so Jose Vasconcelos. Yes. Uh, so he's uh, educational my, my supervisor, homie. what depart head of Department of Education yeah, or something he, like that. Yeah. yeah. So the, sec- the minister of education. Yeah. So you have uh, what important thing is Obergon made education much, much, much more prevalent. So before, like all these revolution revolutionaries didn't really know how to read. They yeah. didn't know how to do 80% any of this. 80% illiteracy in yeah. Mexico. 80% illiteracy in all of Mexico. But Obregón built 1,000 schools all throughout rural areas as well, yes. which developed a sense of nationality as well. Yeah. But you, you also have, like, in these rural towns, like, if you ask somebody to treat like a cut, they would, like, they would put leeches on you. Yeah, you know? yeah, exactly. So Behind the times. But something else is that it kind of also developed this idea of, like, the differences between the education system. Like, someone that was going to education now in the city was mm-hmm. learning something completely different than someone in the rural areas who was probably, like, in their education system learning how to, like, grow crops or something like that, you know? Something mm-hmm. that... They had this, like, um, state nationality almost in the educational system, mm-hmm. really, when you think about it. Like, if you were in a rural state, then you were learning about how to grow crops or something like that. But overall, you had you had this, like, unique sense of nationality oh, yes. in, in Mexico, really. But uh, people knew how to read literature and, you know, this Mexican literature. And um, you were able to tell stories, write songs. People were learning about music, Mexican music, growth yeah. of music, growth of art. Mm-hmm. Art is a huge one because... Mexico kind of had this development of like a unique art style. Everyone's seen a Frida Kahlo piece. Yeah, well, this, that wasn't at this point, but like. Well, yeah, it's much later, but it just kind of it begins it. it yeah, begins it, be- this it begins this pyramid of like Mexican identity. Yeah, Mexican identity, and they also start learning about Aztec, like the Aztecs, you know, mm-hmm. like the previous, like the pre-Hispanic. You know, legends and things like well, that. Also, the classics, like they had Homer translated. Yeah, they also had a bunch of like you know, like uh, Dante's Inferno, Dante's for example, Inferno. was pro- it was translated now and sent to Mexico, so people could read all of the classics mm-hmm. from around the world that everyone else was reading around the world. Yes. So it's just a huge development in education, mm-hmm. really, which well, is what, very important. Wasn't it like was it forty percent of the GDP was like yes, so much. Can you imagine I think it's forty percent. Yeah. Can you imagine our schools now if we had forty percent of the GDP directed to our schools? Insane. So, Obergon cared a whole lot about just like kind of growing this nationality and just growing the education of the Mexican people. And it also wasn't for just kids as well as for adults mm-hmm. that still didn't know how to but read here, and everything. But here's a huge thing that a lot of people don't realize that he wasn't just like doing this out of the goodness of his heart. Like, Obregón and Vasconcelos have, like, a lot of quotes where they're just, like, we gotta, like, we gotta assimilate the native peoples in the rural country. 
And, like, although this assimilation yeah. wasn't, like, secularly based, like, a lot of... Yeah, uh, Like, assimilation is. schools in the United States and Mexico for mm-hmm. Native peoples, they were still, like, quit being, you know, Native and, like, <laughs> yeah. start being Western. So it wasn't, it wasn't all cool, but it was, like, just, like, oh, yeah. Exactly, it, it was, yeah. It was a benefit for society, but there was a lot of considerations to take in at this point, you know? Because mm-hmm. it was also just, like, there were some human rights violations, you know, but... Yeah, it, we're, we're seeing development. Okay, yeah. we're seeing development. It's, it's the it's the schools they need, but not the one it deserves. Mm. You know, I like much that. Like I Batman. like that. Yeah, much I like, like that. So, Calles is a uh, named successor for uh, Obergon, and uh, that kind of pisses off Via. So, yeah, Via was like, "Oh man, I'm gonna start revolting, dog! If you don't start, like, you know." putting some respect on somebody else's name. I don't like that Kai's dude. And you wonder if that has to do with, like, Kai's whooping Via's butt at the Battle of Chihuahua City after Saleya. Mm-hmm. And so Via... Uh, so they're afraid that Via will team up with the loser of that election, De La Huerta, and, like, revolt and totally wreck the crap out of everybody. And also they're scared of Via because he is super influential. You know, like, if he says... Yeah army let's assemble it will assemble within like one day and they can march on mexico city so mm-hmm. he's like he's like a mob boss even though he's retired and so they send salas barraza a disgraced general to assassinate via in Poral, mexico and salas barraza was arrested and he was like you're getting and the courts were like you're getting 70 years and he served less than one year and was released and he did. He was successful. Yeah. And oh yeah. He killed. He, he killed the crap out of Via. Uh, yeah. If you look up the image of Via's dead body, he's like hanging out of his car window. And his Via's last words actually were, he told, no, he he told someone, he told uh, the person in the car with him, he said, tell them I said something important, because he didn't want to die like a, uh, like yeah, which is actually kind of sad. But can you or so, it's it? something like that. <laughs> Can you imagine if it was just something not as I think you got bird crap on your head. <laughs> just like something just like... Ow, that hurt. <laughs> yeah. You got, got some snacks in your in your dash? <laughs> just like something. Via's famous last words. But, I don't know. He was always a cameraman. And he was always, you know, very photogenic. And I think even in his dead photo, he was very photogenic. Because he's laying out of his car. Like, literally, oh, he, like, his he, back is bent. You should look up the photo. Look up Via's dead body. He would you, approve. Yeah. He yeah. would approve. Yeah, he would approve of that photo. He would let that photo go to the press. Oh, yes, he would. So, it, Via's out of the picture, and De La Huerta, like, realizes, hey, I might have gotten screwed out of this re- election, and I want to be the pre- El Presidente. And so, De La Huerta resigned and was like, I'm going to be the main can, uh, And he declared his candidacy, and this, like, wrecked up the succession thing. Because it wrecked up like the succession process, which they had because, like established. Because yeah, Kais was supposed to be yeah the and boy. So it started another like mini revolution, mm-hmm. and so he fled to Veracruz, and De La Huerta wrote the plan to Veracruz, which will like denounce Kais and denounced Obregón and uh, announced himself as the rightful El Presidente. And Obregón, and so they had a battle right outside of Veracruz, led by Obregón, and. He won because of U.S. support. And this was a tough battle. Like, historians talk about how close this battle was. And it was very close, but Obergon won because he had U.S. support and he had two-thirds of the army. But um, 
De La Huerta also had like uh, some really competent generals, and it was really close. Came down to the end, and he won. And I, they just asked, <laughs> they asked De La Huerta to leave. They were just like, okay, we don't, yeah. we're not going to kill you. Just and he went to Go Los away. Angeles. And yeah, pretty crazy. But Calles won, and this is when we see the start of the Maxi Motto. And Luis Morones um, was put in a special position, and he helped limit the strikes. We can also see the rise of Anticrom, and also a big, big, like, asterisk in, like, the development of Calles was the 1926 Cristero Rebellion. After several, like, anti-Catholic church legislation that was like, you can't assemble, we're going to limit the number of preachers you can have, you can't have, like... You can't make a profit. You can't preach in the open. And so, like, the church was, like, very disrespected. And so there was, like, rebellions between Cristeros and the federal government. And Obregón, at the end of, um, whoever's, uh, at the end of Obregón, uh, at the end of Calles' term from 1924 to 1928, he was like, maybe I'll run. And then somebody bombed his car. Mm. And then he lived miraculously. And he's like, you know what? I'm going to still run for president. And he was going up against Gomez and Serrano. And Shane, tell me what happened from that span. So Serrano ran against Obregón with Calle's support. Serrano revolted, of course. Of course, as you do. The Huitzalai Massacre. How do you pronounce that, actually? Huitzalac. Huitzalac Massacre. Serrano them... What? What is that word? Uh, Some of them... Uh, no, no, no. Uh, then, oh, are you talking about this one? No, no, no. This, I'm pointing oh, where I'm pointing. Um, well, you're not really pointing. Hawatsakek Massacre, Suwano, uh, uh, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I don't it's know, all right. Shane. Well, you wrote it, damn. All right. Well, Shane, flipping stuff. So the, feder- the federal uh, government kills Gomez. All right. Yeah. So you kind of just like, then Obergon, <laughs> is this... Assigned? Is assassinated, bruh. Okay, assassinated. <laughs> Ooh, can we talk about that for a second? Yeah. You spelled assassinated funny. But, um... Ass- well, like, read that. Are you sure that's what that says? Yeah. Because he's not. Yeah. But Obergon is assassinated. <laughs> okay, Shane, which, uh, how much of this did you write? I'm, I'm sorry. Zero percent? Yeah. <laughs> so, you have, you have Obergon assassinated. It was actually quite unique. Uh, he had a meeting with... Uh, 10 out of 10 for creativity. Yeah, 10 out of 10 for creativity. So there's this guy going around painting, like, everyone at the table. <laughs> and then he gets to Obergon. He's like, hey, bro, can I paint you? And then he's and Obergon's like, yeah, why not? And then he pulls out a gun and shoots him in the face, which is, like, crazy. <laughs> but, like, so, like, that's very movie-esque. All of this why is very movie-esque. <laughs> so, and Calles is put... Oh, what is that? Put into office. Put into office. <laughs> Yes. Um, Emilio Gil, Gil, Gil is, is president. Is, is president. He's like an in, he's an yeah, interim. Yeah, he's an interim. Similar to Adolfo de la Huerta. There's a lot of interims from 1928 to 1930. Um, so, I'll take over. Yeah, it's you can try and take a, Well, I can't read your trash handwriting. Well, okay. I'm sorry. Open. I'm sorry. You can leave. You can leave now. Uh, this is also the start of the P and R. You can see because there's a flipping P, and then there's an N, and then there's an R. And then Pascual Rubio is picked as the president to follow Emilio Gil. And 
Also important, at the end of Emilio Gill's presidency, we start to see like the end of the Cristero Rebellion because mass is held in 1929 for the first time because yeah. during the Cristero Rebellion, the Catholic Church went on strike. There were no marriages. There were no like baptisms. There were no like mass. It was it was crazy. Yeah, it was it was. Like if you said that in Alabama, like yeah, it would. Mm, 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 mm. No, 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 not in the Bible Belt. Yeah, we would we would flip and implode. Yeah, so you can imagine how it was in Mexico. Uh, but either way, Pascual Rubio picked as the president, and there was a a little conspiracidad uh, where somebody wrote <laughs> the plan de Hermi, uh, Hermiosio. Uh, Escobar to overthrow the Maxi motto, and this failed, and the PNR won and gained more power, and uh, this led to Rubio winning, and uh, winning against Jose Vasconcelos, and so Rubio then, like a month into his presidency, was killed by Daniel Flores, who had ties to Vasconcelos. Mm. It was really loose ties, but anyways, the Maxi motto used that as an excuse to say, okay, Vasconcelos, you are exiled. Please leave the country. And he didn't for like six months, and he was like, okay. And then he left. So, really like dragging his feet. And then the stock market crashed, and there were more bum, bum, bum. more silver problems happened. <laughs> um, Calles cut land distributions because of the economic situation, and not a lot of people were happy about it. And General Alberto Rodriguez was placed as the president after... Uh, Rubio was killed in a quick interim president. And this is when we see the decline of the Maxi Motto because Kai, uh, Rodriguez like refused to adhere to Calles. Because before we saw Gil and Rubio like be like, okay, here's the law that I want. Is that, is, is that okay, Calles? I want to uh, put this law in. Yeah. And then like, no. Alberto Rodriguez was just like, I'm going to put this law into place. See ya. And we'll like do his own thing. And the Maxi Motto was like, bruh, you... You don't know how this works, though. And, yeah. And also, under Alberto uh, Gonzalez, we saw new labor departments put into place and 1.2 hectares distributed. And then, Cardinez. Cardinez. So, so, it's kind of ironic that he was picked by Calles to be, like, the successor. Yeah. And then he was the end of Calles. Because he was... If, let's say... Let's say, for an instant, if Zapata is the pre is the father of the Mexican Revolution, then Cardenas is the son of the Mexican Revolution. I agree with that because he is like fulfills all the aims of the revolution that remained unfulfilled. The 1917 Constitution is like fully enacted under him. Land, the amount of land this fool, yeah, like, this distributed, fool like did like some crazy. He, stuff. he fulfilled like the Plan de Ayala, like however many years this is. This is in 1934 and. Zapata died in 1919, so this is like 15 years after Zapata's yeah. death, and finally the Plan de Ayala is like fully yeah, like it's like several, it's like six something million, isn't it? Like oh, I think it might be more than that, Holmes. It is a lot of. It's like it's a lot. It's a whole 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 whole. whole so just whole, imagine. Whole so I don't have the exact numbers. I'm sure. We, I forgot to mention for the 1917 Constitution, mm -hmm. um, for like foreign involvement and stuff. Mm -hmm. Uh, everything had to like go through the Mexican government. I just realized that, but yeah, like everything had to go through. Like if you were gonna give the land to someone, like 
you know, yeah. like the U.S., it would have to go through Mexican government, so like it was less. Like, everything common. was like structured, you know. Yeah, everything was structured, but but Cardenas, as soon as he was in office, like purged the PNR, uh, who is like very influential in Mexico. And, very, like, very, very, and was for a tremendous amount of time. But he purged the PNR of Calle's loyalists, and also like uh, uh, he called. He put in power a lot of anti-Crom and, like, people who weren't a part of Crom unions into power. So, like, a lot of, like, the status quo positions were, like, flipped on its head because he put a lot of peop uh, the minority in power. Um, and so, Calles was just like, bruh, you, you can't be doing this, you can't ruin all my work. And then this is a funny story. Cardenas, so, like, they start having, like, these feuds, Calles and Cardenas. And Cardenas, uh, in the middle of the night, sends military police to, like, wake up Calles at his house and say, get on this plane. And they kidnap him, put him on a plane to the United States, and then they just leave him there. Like, wow. And they say, it's best if you don't show up in Mexico again. And so they basically just kidnap Calles, the head of the Maximato. And threw him out. Yep, and that's basically the end of the Maximato, but it's not the end of the PNR. No. no Cardenas no. is fully independent at this point. He can do what he wants. Once he puts in a lot of socioeconomic plan uh, programs, and this effectively ends the uh, caste system for the most part. Like yeah, obviously, really, there's still yeah. some like backwater. Like, are you a peninsula? Get out of my And you, are you one of them Creole? A Creole boy. Yeah, yeah. But there's still some backwater people. But you know how you know how it be. Education is furthered like even more. Um, it's. He has a lot of, like, socialist programs, but he's still, um... He was big on railroads, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, a lot of railroads, yeah, a lot of oil. railroads, stuff like that. Still good for the economy. Yeah. I would like to consider him, like, the birth of this new culture. Oh, yes. He, big time. He expanded education. He built 4,000 schools. Art. Art Art, to art boom, expanded right? a lot. Um, yeah. Cardenas also, like, um... He put a stress on science, and this caused, like, massive upheavals. Because mm. he's, he's teaching people, like, germ theory. Food does uh, you know, like, germs can come out of anywhere. And people are like, God makes germs. And yeah, so, like, yeah, yeah. And so that leads to, like, uh, God didn't say germs are in the Bible. And so, yeah, people yeah. just, like, Ruh. So he's like, okay, let's take a step back. <laughs> we're clearly, we're not ready for this. And so, <laughs> uh, like, it still happens, but not a lot. Um... He believed uh, President Calles favored the Hidios over Hacendados, which was super controversial, and wanted to break up the Hacienda system. And this is when we, like, finally see, like, Haciendas, like, start to get broken up. And uh, he wanted to free the oppressive life under the Hacendados system. And Cardenas put structures to assist the life of the Hidios system and combined over 45 million acres of land and <clears throat> really helped out the common man that Zapata really wanted to, like, accomplish. Cardenas put into, and as we mentioned earlier, helped out other unions other than Crom, and was just, he was really crazy. And he helped out the oil industry, because there was a lot of unrest at the time. Like, in 1937, there was a lot of oil industry unrest, and he nationalized oil industry, which was huge, because before it was just, like, all willy-nilly. And he finally, he did that, helped the workers and labor unions over there, and started the uh, Mexican... Uh, well, he didn't start, but there was... Uh, <clears throat> so, there was the PNR, uh, 
Three weeks later, Cardenas disbanded the political uh, political party, the PNR, and formed the Mexican Revolutionary Party, the mm. PRM, in 1938. And there was new re- re- uh, relationship between the government and the workers. And so, so the PNR, although it was like disbanded, it was still very prominent. Like yeah. just because Cardenas said like it's over doesn't mean it was over. So. PNR still is like prominent, but basically whatever. And so, the Revolutionary Party is like a socialist-ish party, just focused on the people and the workers. And Cardenismo is like really amping up at the time, and <clears throat> that's when we start to see the impact of the revolution. Like uh, Shane, can you talk anything about the uh, impact of the revolution at all? Oh yeah, you had women. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but women like. As soon as the revolution, like, ended, and this is start when we get to the end of the revolution. 1940 is the recognized end of the Mexican Revolution. Isn't that fair to say, Shane? Yeah, when men left their homes to fight in the Mexican Revolution, they often left their families behind. In the rural areas of Mexico, this left women susceptible to rape and kidnapping by bandits or, marau- or marauding revolutionary armies. Are you just reading straight from the text? Yeah, well, I'm gonna I'm reading so I can like kind of elaborate because of this many, because of this many women, women be, <laughs> because, because of this, this woman. there should be a comma there because of this many women began following their men to the battlefield to be safer and also to continue their support of Rose's wife. To be honest, that's a weird way of like I I didn't think about that kind of like that's the reason you know what I'm saying? Yeah, like it's what like it's like. Oh, I don't want to be raped. I'm going to come fight. Yeah. It is kind of... I, I was like, whoa. Uh, these women became known as the soldaderas, who are the women that were fighting with the, alongside their men's. Mm. My man. As they, follow, as they followed men around Mexico from battlefield to battlefield, doing a variety of tasks, including setting up camp, cleaning for the soldiers, cooking for when they return from battle, hauling true, true, equipment, true. gathering water and firewood, building shelters to protect the men from the elements. Very true. Caring for horses and other animals they had brought along and being in charge of medical care at times. Very true. Many would go as far as to say that without these women, there would have not been a revolution uh, as many of the men would have returned home. So... That's another thing. With their women, with women, um, with their woman, with their woman, with men and their, and their nice little lady, they, uh, they didn't really have an urge to go back home. Like you know, like uh, in in America, like it's no, it's like that known story that a man in war is like, I must go back home and see my wife. Yeah. But like, hey, my wife's fighting <laughs> with me right now. So like, man, I really have... want to see my wife. Yeah, she's like five minutes. From me. Yeah, I know exactly. So it's not too, it's not too difficult. Uh, but yeah, <clears throat> due to the like, uh, and that's a good point. And due to the expectation of like non non secularized education, women mm. were introduced into the education system as well. Of course, and the same with many people. But also with the expanding of education, we saw the expanding of the arts, such as the muralista movement, and one of those main people being Diego Rivera, si. who had a lot of <clears throat> financial backing from the state of Mexico. He gained Communist. a lot. Of, yeah. you, also, you also had a Rosco, no relation to Pasquale Rosco. He was uh, began his career as a cartoonist and saw the horrors of war and did like um, a lot of paintings and muralistas. You also had Siquieros. He was a muralista, but he had like, 
I always liked his his uh, moralistas more because of like his dark colorings. It shows just a lot of the tragedies. Um, he was a he was a political activist. He was later exiled from Mexico. He was also put in prison for his activities, and he had a lot of um, <laughs> and he had a lot of uh, influences from French and Italian, but always kept it based in like a Mexican identity. You yeah. Know? So. And there was also a music influence, literature influence, and yeah, we could keep on going on about like the influence. That's why I didn't want to like dive in deep about the influence of the Mexican Revolution because you could literally say like everything. Yeah, like like what is the what is the effect of the Mexican Revolution? Like everything. Yeah. Look at Mexico exactly. today. That's due to the Mexican Revolution. Look at Mexico in 1955. That's due to the Mexican Revolution. Look at a gas station in Baja, California, in 1998. Due to the Mexican Revolution. Like, you could do so much. Yeah, everything. So, Shane, uh, time for your soliloquy about um, what did you learn through the Mexican Revolution? What is Um, a big conclusion? I think the big conclusion is that change can be made. Yes. Change can be made. Mm -hmm. It takes takes time, (laughs) clearly. clearly. From from starting in 1838 all the way to 1940. Over a hundred years. Patience is key, okay? Patience is key. But um, I think, uh, you know, if you're in charge of a country, Mm -hmm. it's important to balance, Mm -hmm. you know, money... The so- but also the social side. Oh yes, of everything. balance is key. Because you had like people like Carranza who would just do political or judicial reform and like wouldn't fix the economy or social. Exactly. Uh, or the land reform, yeah. Exactly. And, and yeah. Don't jump to conclusions. Don't yeah. Conclusions. Don't 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 be jumping for little cocks, bro. Don't uh uh-uh. uh. And uh, don't uh don't. Say Huerta's the father of the Mexican Revolution. That is a big no-no. That's a big no-no. Uh, I think another one is choose your friends wisely, because you could be like Madero and you could be all home sliced with Huerta, and, and then yeah, and then he flipping betrays you and you end up shot next to your car in the in the flipping uh, Chihuahua Peck Desert. Mm-hmm. <laughs> nah, I don't think that's a desert, but whatever. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's a city. But either way, choose your friends wisely, um, and. I think also perseverance, because you have people like Zapata and Villa, whose names are well known to this day, who live, and like, that's the thing, is I know those revolutionaries better than Obregon, and like, Obregon was a president, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, exactly. So it's just, it comes to show you, if you have, if you have the heart, you can do it. Isn't that right, Jay? Yeah. So yeah, um, we've went over by, um, I don't know, about 40 minutes. <laughs> so, Yeah. Uh, we should probably end it here, but wish us luck on our test. Yes, um, please. Follow us on our socials. Shout I hope you found this interesting. Our socials are um, Instagram. Uh, what is it on there? The Tortoise or Tortoise no, Podcast. Tortoise Podcast. Podcast. Um, r slash u slash. R slash u slash the Tortoise Podcast on, on Reddit. Reddit and um, Twitter. <laughs> Twitter. Uh, Facebook the Tordesius and um, Facebook is Torde CS first name Torde last name CS um, because you can't do usernames on Facebook it's first and last name of course so I didn't know what else to do other than say Torde and CS so 
Is that all of them? Yeah, I think that's all of them. Job. We have a link tree now. I'm pretty sure you can find that somewhere. Yeah, it's, it's somewhere on there, brother. Yeah, somewhere on there. Uh, it's easy to access everything. We're on literally every platform that you can listen to a podcast except YouTube, YouTube Music. So don't be looking for us on YouTube Music. Because you're lame. Yeah, you will be disappointed, dog. Yeah, I'm uh, sorry. But yeah, that is... Okay, that's the end of the Mexican Revolution. Or is it? Follow us for part two where we talk about the second Mexican Gosh. Revolution. Okay, anyways, wish us luck on the test. Uh, TTYL, let's shamelessly buy. All right, ciao. ciao.